The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Women, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from powerful women leaders who will share their playbooks on how to manage smarter, be more successful, and change your game. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you you're in the right place because I've got an incredible panel today. So welcome to Game Changing Women Radio. Let's get started. Girls in the U.S. today are more likely than boys to study algebra and precalculus. It sounds great, right? Well, college women earn only 18% of undergraduate degrees and less than 4% of doctorates in computer science and engineering. That simply does not compute. They're studying it, but they're not going on to earn those meaningful degrees. More disturbing, perhaps, women fill only 25% of jobs in technology fields, and women held just one-fifth, that's right, I said one-fifth of Fortune 250 CIO positions in 2012. It was not that long ago. I I have a quote from our esteemed executive producer and SAP chief learning officer, Jenny Dearborn. She says, the need for more women in Silicon Valley is one reason that's kept me here. Nice to know that, Jenny. And then she adds, I love a good fight. And here we are with this great topic. So a couple of questions on the table. What challenges await women entering the tech field today? Or I should say women who dare and optimistically and hopefully entering the tech field today. And maybe more important, how can we help improve their chances of success? That's the big one. Very happy to welcome my first panelist today. She is Rathna Ketalea. She is head of the SAP Financial Services Healthcare and Utilities Practice at TCS. That's Tata Consultancy Services. And Rathna sent me a wonderful quote from Henry Ford. Here's the quote. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you you are probably right. Rathna, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for this terrific quote. Tell me how this relates to our topic. We're talking about women in Silicon Valley. What in the heck did Henry Ford have to do with women in Silicon Valley? I don't know what was going on back in the day, but this would sure be a revelation to him. Talk to me. Yeah. I chose this quote uh, because first step in achieving anything, Bonnie, is believing that you can achieve it. Now, I know this applies to everyone, but I thought it's very relevant to our topic today, Uh, despite all the challenges we women face, if we believe that we can achieve great things on par or even better than our male colleagues, we can break the glass ceiling. And uh, we have a lot of women leaders today, like Indira Nui, Hillary Clinton, Carly Fiona, who have actually you know, proven that to us. On the contrary, if I were to believe that I'll always be dealt a bad hand just because I'm a woman, Mm-hmm. That by itself is going to limit my myself. But while I believe I can achieve great things, 
I should also be prepared to overcome challenges and not give up. I love it. I, I think Henry Ford would be very honored and proud to know that his quote has not only survived so many different contexts, Rathna, but that he's here today in 2015 on a radio show with a panel of women who are technologists, who are savvy leaders, and that we're still thinking about him. That certainly is what we call words of wisdom if they survive all that time. Rathna, quickly, before I introduce our second guest, any thoughts on the statistics I read in the beginning of the show? College women earn only 18% of undergraduate degrees and less than 4% of doctorates in computer science and engineering. I'm shocked. I'm really shocked. Are you? I am too, actually, Bonnie. Um, it, it's really a, a surprising statistic, especially, um, you know, in the past, uh, uh, women were actually very much responsible for pioneering computer programming, and uh, it's really sad to see the statistics dropping. Yep. Well, let's see if we can come up with some solutions to help make those statistics, those numbers rise in the best possible way. Thank you, Rathna, for joining me. Pleasure to know you. And let me bring on our second esteemed panelist. She's Sarah Allen, who leads Bridge Foundry, a nonprofit whose mission is to transform the software industry so the makers of technology are as diverse as the people who use technology. And I must add that Sarah is a tech leader who co-created... Everybody wait for it. After Effects, Shockwave, and Flash Video back in the day. And she was named one of the top 25 women of the web in 1998. Seems like a long time ago, Sarah. You and I both come way back from the old school. Sarah has sent me a wonderful quote, another iconic quote from Alan Kay. And, in fact, he's best known for coining this phrase. It's the best way to predict the future is to invent it. And I think you have been doing that for a long time. Sarah Allen, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining me. Tell me how come you picked this quote from Alan Kay. Um, well, before I dive in, I just have to say a disclaimer that um, I'm currently employed by the United States of America um, mm -hmm. at the General Services Administration at 18F, and this radio show is in my personal capacity. The topic of this show is um, something that I've been I'm very uh, passionate about and very related to my work at Bridge Foundry which is um, I do in a volunteer capacity, and, of course, my overall experiences from tech. Thank um, you, Sarah. Perfect, perfect. And, and now everybody knows, and I appreciate that. So go ahead. Alan Kay, how would you pick his quote? Well, I think that when I started um, in programming, I, I mean, I did it as a kid for fun. I decidedly was not going to go into a career in tech. I had the misconception, which I think was common in the 80s, that the programmers just implemented um, what other people specified. Mm -hmm. And then if you had a specification for a product, that the programmers were somehow an extension of the machine that just typed out the instructions. Um, what I discovered is it's not like that at all, that if you set out to build something to solve a specific problem, the person who writes the code has tremendous flexibility in how that problem is solved and how it can limit or empower the person using that technology. And I, in fact, had graduated from Brown with a CS degree and a visual art degree, and I had gotten done computer science as a backup so that I would, you know, not spend all this money in college and not end up being able to find work and um, sort of fell into my first startup company because my friends were starting this company, um, and 
And then I realized that what was obvious to me or seemed obvious to me at the time was not Mm -hmm. necessarily the path that tech would take without my participation. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that each of us has a unique perspective, and we need all of those unique perspectives to make the technology that will shape the future. And I think that not only applies to the software and hardware of our world, but also to the society that we're creating. Um, you know, one of the things that I always say um, with Bridge Foundry um, is that, uh, you know, it started with RailsBridge and these teaching workshops. And, you know, people always talk about tech as, um, you know, diversity in tech is a boiling the ocean kind of problem. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to start at kindergarten, and, you know, there's so many different parts of the problem that will never, never get there. Um, but... Um, I think that we can boil the ocean if we make every tenth molecule a heater. So <laughs> if we could just get a small minority of people in the industry to actively participate in changing the dynamics, it would suddenly change. And, Sarah, that goes so beautifully to Alan Kay's quote, the best way to predict the future is to invent it. Uh, getting that tenth molecule to be a heater certainly sounds like a formidable challenge. I think we're going to try and solve some of those issues today here. I want to, before I bring on our third panelist, Sarah, when you and I met on the phone about a week ago uh, to introduce ourselves to each other, I think you mentioned some interesting words to me that I wasn't used to hearing in the context of women in, in early tech, if I can say that, because I was a programmer back in the 70s as well, and I was following other people's specs, and I I was writing code my way to solve problems people told me they needed programs to solve. Uh, but you mentioned the words imagination, visualization, creativity. Can you add those to the discussion just a little bit, please, Sarah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, and that's what I was trying to get to is saying that, you know, we need all of our unique perspectives. Um, mm-hmm. Programming is a creative act. I mean, especially today when we have this amazing foundation that, you know, the um, women and men who created this field, um, you know, sort of set up for us that so often in order to actually solve the very real and urgent problems of the day, we have to have creative solutions. And we all know that research supports that creativity is, um, you know, people come up with more creative and productive solutions when they're in a diverse crew. And so I think we need um, the imagination um, the inspiration of um, women and men and older people and younger people and mm-hmm. people of all races and all backgrounds and all classes, or, um, you know, we're not going to have a future that at least I want to see. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate that, and welcome again. And let me bring on our third panelist. She's no stranger to SAP Game Changers Radio, but she's new here to Game Changing Women Radio, one of our newer series. It's Nicole McCabe. She's Senior Director of Global Diversity and Inclusion at SAP. And Nicole sent me a wonderful quote from the recently declared candidate in the 2016 U.S. presidential election, Hillary Clinton, who spoke the following words at the U.N. Women's Empowerment Principle Conference. And the quote is, we must move beyond putting policies on paper and start putting them into practice. I want to say amen. Nicole McCabe, welcome back. How are you today? Great. Thanks, Bonnie. How are you? I'm okay. So talk to me. Interesting. We've got quite, we've got Henry Ford, we've got Alan Kay and Hillary Clinton joining the three of you. I would say this is quite an esteemed panel. So how come you picked a Hillary Clinton quote for our topic, Nicole? 
Well, you know, it's very interesting because normally I try to avoid um, political quotes, but mm-hmm. being part of the UN Women Empowerment Principle Conference, when I went up there, uh, she spoke on this, and I think it's very relevant to what we're discussing today. I think a lot of times from what I've seen, people will talk about the problem. Um, they'll talk about, a, a, I'll say, a one-time hit solution, right, sponsorship or mentoring. Um, they'll talk about quotas, which we see in Europe quite a bit. Um, but it's always that how component that seems to be missing. Uh, so I thought that it was very, you know, timely of her to also put that into practice component in there where we're saying, okay, let's not just create a policy, but let's really think about we, how we can practice it. And Sarah brought up so many great points, but it's really around that inclusiveness, right, mm-hmm. um, at all levels, not just within the workplace, but it's at home, it's in the curriculum that we have. Um, there's so many different influences uh, when it comes to this challenge that we have in Silicon Valley and beyond that I really think it's how do we go about not only creating the policy, but how do we go about driving the change? So that's why I chose this one today. Thank you very much, Nicole. Any comments back to the uh, to the Alan Kay quote, to predict the future to is to invent it? Any comments back on the specific quote Sarah shared or Rathna shared from Henry Ford? I'm interested. Yeah, well, I love both of them, right, because I think mm-hmm. that um, certainly the Alan Kay one, you know, I love it. I think it also touches on, um, something where we need to each individually take accountability and, and drive that change, um, especially as women, right? You know, look out for one another and pay it forward and help others progress in the career so that they're not leaving um, at the rate at which they are leaving the technology sector. Um, so I certainly love that. And then, you know, whether you think you can or you think you can't, uh, the more you <laughs> think that you can't, you never will. Right. So um, I do believe that we have to think that we can change this issue um, if we're really going to make the impact. So I love both of those. Thank you very much. Sarah, what are you drinking today, please? I'm drinking a warm cup of goat milk. Oh, interesting. Tell me, what does it taste like? Oh, it's, um, it's delicious. It, did, it is a little bit of an acquired taste. It tastes different from cow milk. I, um, I actually have... Um, a chronic illness, which um, can be very debilitating, um, called endometriosis. And um, early in my career, I, um, you know, it, it had a lot of effect on me, and I realized that I could manage it with diet and exercise. You know, they say eat well mm-hmm. and um, exercise, and it's good for you, and it turns out that it's actually true. Um, but one of the things that I had to do was give up milk, and it was very... I mean, I was somebody who was like, everything is better with cheese. Um, <laughs> and I uh, love, love, love milk. And, but I discovered, I read, a, I was a voracious reader and read that um, goat and sheep milk does not have that effect, um, the same effects as cow milk. So I um, started um, experimenting with alternate milk substances and um, found that um, I, goat milk goes well with savory things, and um, it's um, very, very drinkable, and um, it settles my stomach. And, um, and then I've become a connoisseur of goat cheese. Oh, I found wow. That yes. when I'm, so when I'm exercising a lot and staying on this diet, which includes not having cow milk or deadly nightshades, um, then I, um, I feel very good, but then I fall off the wagon and I stop exercising. And by adding in a good habit before I have to do the things that are really hard, mm-hmm. then um, 
um, then it's easier to sort of get back on the wagon. So, um, so I haven't been exercising enough. I have, um, you know, my stomach was bothering me this morning, so I'm having a warm cup of goat milk to settle my tummy and um, enjoy the show. Sarah, I might have to try some of that. I'm in a little bit of the same boat as you today, but I have an interesting story to tell you. Just got off the air an hour ago doing a show called Digital World with Game Changers, another one of our Tuesday series, and we had a young woman named Kin, K-I-N-H, Demery, who works for Axiom Zen, and she told me she's drinking, are you ready for this, Sarah Allen? She's drinking camel's milk. Oh, my and goodness. She, Oh, my goodness. And there are places now that she was in uh, Dubai on travels, and they had a camel milk bar. Hello. And they put spices in it. The Bedouins introduced her to it when she was traveling over there. And I said to her, Kin, we've never had camel's milk mentioned on any of our radio shows. And along comes Sarah Allen and says, I'm drinking goat milk. And I think that's two for two today because I don't think anybody's ever mentioned that either. I'm uh, I'm very glad that it works for you, Sarah. Thanks for sharing. I think we have Rathna back. Rathna, are you with us? Yes, I'm so sorry for that. Uh, that's okay, dear. Sarah was more than, more than ready to talk about what she's drinking. So what's in your cup today, Rathna? Yeah. I think it's not as interesting as what Sarah talked about, but uh, I am an avid coffee drinker, uh, uh, Bonnie. So right now I'm actually sipping a coffee uh, that is sourced from a region in India called Kulk. Uh, not many people know about it, but I grew up near this place. And even today when I visit India or I have friends and family visiting me, I make sure that I get a bag of those beans. Uh, this particular coffee is actually very rich in flavor, quite refreshing, but at the same time, it doesn't have such high levels of caffeine like what we find in some of the popular chains today. So uh, it, it helps me not have a crash at the end of the day having, you know, mm-hmm. multiple cups of coffee that we all do. I mean, uh, like most of the folks in IT, I guess coffee is our fuel. Thank you very much, Rathan. I'm glad you joined us back. Appreciate that. And Nicole McCabe, I can't ask you to top either of those, but I really want to know what you're drinking today, Nicole. I know. I feel not as um, excited, (laughs) but now I definitely would love to have a conversation with Sarah on on the milk thing because I'm a cheese addict and uh, struggling to give it up, I should say. So maybe we can connect at some point. But I am uh, actually drinking the Tazo Giant Peach Iced Tea. Um, and I, that's a little splurge for me because there's a little bit of sugar in it, and I try to avoid sugar. Uh, but I like it mainly, not only for the taste, but the slogan that they put on the tea, um, which is that uh, peach is such a happy-go-lucky fruit brimming with golden possibilities. When it's mixed with ripe apple and the easy smoothness of green tea, you can't help running barefoot through the tall grass. Uh, so I love to read that in the morning, and it makes me feel like I can go out and conquer the day. Well, I think we have a choice here. We can all take off our shoes and whatever hosiery we're wearing, and we can go run barefoot through the tall grass, or we can stick around here and share our insights on women and technology. Thank you, Nicole. What interesting drinks. And as Nicole McCabe knows, and Sarah Allen and Ratha don't know about me, they don't let Bonnie have caffeine on radio show days. What can I tell you? It's a preventive measure. We're talking today to Ratha Ketalea at TCS, Sarah Allen at Bridge Foundry, et cetera, et cetera, and 
Nicole McCabe at SAP. Our topic, in case you haven't figured it out, is Women in Technology, Decoding Diversity in Silicon Valley and Beyond. You've already heard a taste of the the brilliance and the savvy of my three panelists, and they have so much more to share. We're going to see if we can help more women crack that glass ceiling or whatever it's made of. I don't know what it's made of anymore, but we want to get more women into the top echelons of tech because we have the passion, the creativity, the vision, and the brains to do it. So let's stop holding women back. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be right back after the break, and we will start off our roundtable with Rathni Ketalea at TCS, and she and I are going to talk about some historical women in tech information when we come back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. For women, the pressure to achieve at work is stronger, the hours longer, and the struggle for respect and authority more complex than ever. You want guidance on how to succeed, and you are not alone. Tune in to hear today's powerful women leaders help you make sense of it all. They will get you thinking about how to manage smarter. They will analyze how you can change the game. And they will share their playbooks on how you can make it happen. Game Changing Women is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. listening to Game Changing Women, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Women. We certainly are. Our topic today is Women in Tech, Decoding Diversity in Silicon Valley and Beyond. And if you look carefully at that title, it's a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a tautology, but certainly decoding is a key word because we're talking about tech. So let's get this party started, ready for the roundtable, kicking it off with Rathna Catalea at TCS. Rathna, I'm looking at your notes from before the show and some very interesting look-back information. You say, Women in Tech is an important issue today, but it's useful to remember our predecessors in the field. And you mentioned in the 19th century, I know the millennials are scratching their head and saying there was a 19th century, Ada Lovelace <laughs> wrote about Charles Babbage's computing machine providing notes for future inventors. You also mentioned Grace Hopper. Why don't you give us a little look back, Ratna? Why are these women so important to us today? Yeah, I mean, I actually came across this book uh, last year, uh, Bonnie, called uh, uh, The Innovators. Uh, you know, what created the digital revolution by Walter I. Saxon. And mm-hmm. the, the book really interested me because he documented really um, important facts about how women pioneered the, you know, the history of computer programming. I guess uh, Ada Lovelace, as you just mentioned, uh, she was the world's first programmer in a sense. I know it was a mechanical computer, but still, I think she's the one who led the uh, you know, the industry in some sense. Uh, during World War II as well, there were many women who programmed the early computers, be it the electronic computer ENIAC or the first commercial computer UNIVAC. Um, also, what I was really surprised, or I mean, I knew about this, but Grace Hopper 
uh, was, uh, you know, the woman who helped invent COBOL programming language. Mm-hmm. So while all this, you know, uh, happened in back then up to 1930s, something really changed from then to, you know, the recent uh, uh, decade, uh, decades. So I guess there were many theories around this. Uh, you know, some says that, you know, corporations thought that back then since men were, uh, you know, tinkering around with the hardware, uh, it was probably just a natural progression to, uh, you know, just move on to the software programming language. Um, and, and I guess Sarah talked about it brilliantly. Um, you know, she said uh, it's just an easy, uh, you know, people just assume it's just, you know, making the computers work the way you want. But then there is mm-hmm. a little bit of creativity that you actually have to bring in uh, in, in your own way, right? So um, I guess that was the age of uh, Steve Jobs or, uh, you know, Bill Gates when there were more men, uh, you know, coming up with uh, personal computers or new programming language. Uh, But I personally think probably, I guess, uh, men were thought to be more suitable for something more technical or engineering, and then women were thought to be good at soft skills, such as hospitality or being a lawyer or manager, etc. But... You know, I guess it's really a false stereotype because just as men can be good at management or hospitality, I think women can also be great at technology, same way as men. Thank you, Rathna. Great historical look back over our collective shoulders. And by the way, I was a COBOL programmer for many years, and I have to say thank you to Grace Hopper. I just love the language. Sarah Allen, what do you think about looking back at the women who started or were were instrumental in getting this off the ground? What's your thought? Well, I'm so glad Rafa started out with um, history, and Grace Hopper is also a hero of mine. I recently um, heard Sarah May speak on the Changelog, which is an open source po- podcast, and she pointed out that Grace Hopper was 37 when she joined the Navy and 40-something when she pioneered the compiler and 50-something when she wrote COBOL. Whoa. So one thing that we don't think about today is this notion of programming being like a young person's activity is a very new concept that historically people with more experience were tapped to do challenging problems. And I don't think the human species has changed dramatically in the last 50, 60 years. Um, And what we're seeing now is um, a lack of taking advantage of the talent pool we have because of an overemphasis on youth as well as um, not being inclusive of the majority of our population. So looking back historically, I love to, when these stories are unearthed, I learned a lot about um, the ENIAC women who programmed um, what was the first digital, I believe it was the first digital computer in the United States that was made during World War II. And because the men were off at war, they tapped women um, math majors mm-hmm. to be computers. So in the early part of the previous century, in the um, 1900s, 19, I don't know, 20s, 30s, there was a job called computers. There's a great book called When Computers Were Human, where women would <laughs> use slide rules to do calculations, and they called it pink-collar work, because that really was very rote work, doing math, with slide rules. 
And during the war, they had to calculate these ballistic tables. Every time they would invent a new um, long-range gun, they would produce these books that, um, where they would, you know, uh, you know, based on the wind speed and the weight of the artillery and whatnot, they would have to figure out what the angle of the gun was in order to hit a specific target. And so people would look the numbers up in these books. So they had women working in the United States generating those tables with slide rules, and they picked their top six women who were computers to program the first digital computer. Very impressive, Sarah. My goodness, who who knew? And this is somebody's grandmother somewhere or great-grandmother was doing this, and, and maybe even you could say they were helping to save the world, right? Yeah. In fact, um, Kathy Kleiman has um, recently has been working on a documentary about these women. She um, found one of these women mentioned in a footnote in the late 90s um, because one of the women married one of the men who was a hardware engineer. And they had been left out of history mm-hmm. for 50 years because... So you said, you said the footnote. That's all she was was a footnote because she married a guy in tech. Is, isn't that... That's what we're here today talking about, making sure this doesn't happen again. Right, Sarah? We don't want this yeah. to happen again. Exactly. But now we're starting to see these stories uncovered, and it's great to see that we do have a rich history that, you know, of women in tech and telling these stories, I think... Um, helps change the future as well. It does, and it's going to help the younger generations, the millennials, blessed be they, to understand that there are predecessors and there is a history. Nicole McCabe, join us. Thoughts on looking back over at at our roots of women in tech. What do you think? Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, I love going back and looking at, at the history and unearthing, you know, the contributions that some of these amazing women had. I mean, obviously there's the famous ones, but then there are those who you know, played a a pivotal role, but just aren't getting recognized for it. So I think when you can start with that and tell the stories of not only those in history, but even I think today, too, we see a trend where women who are doing amazing things in technology, they don't often uh, talk about it or promote it enough, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I think just continuing those stories and tell them so that we're not unearthing them 30 or 40 years after it occurred um, would be, you know, a big step in the right direction, too. Thank you. Great point. Yes, we don't need to wait to discover these in another history book. We need to talk about them now. We've done uh, several shows here on Game Changing Women Radio, and we've talked about the fact that women tend to have more of a team mentality. It's not, look what I did. It's, well, I'm part of this team, and the team did this, and the team, whereas men are out there with their hand raised saying, oh, I did this, and I did that, and I discovered this, and, and women are more reluctant to stand up and say, I did have a major discovery here. So I think we need to change that mindset as well. Uh, Rathna, anything you want to tie up on the history? Because I'm ready to move on to another very important point from Sarah Allen's notes. So anything you want to finish off on history, which was a great topic? Thank you. No, I think, Bonnie, I think uh, it's about time we repeat the history. Thank you very much. Sarah Allen, you you, uh, sent me some wonderful notes, as did the other ladies on the panel, and something just, just hit me between the eyes here. Women are leaving the industry. Now, I started off the show, Sarah, saying, how can we help improve the chances of success for women who want to enter it? And you're saying, wait a minute, the door is open and they're going the other way. My goodness, you say the decline in women graduating from college with CS degrees is appalling, but that's not the primary factor in low numbers of women in the tech workforce. Only 41% of software engineers 
years, have a CS degree, and that's the 2003 National Survey of College Grads. Talk to me, Sarah. What is going on? How can they be leaving? We're trying to get them in the door, and they're already exiting. What's going on? Yeah, we're seeing that a majority of women, um, two-thirds of women, leave the field um, within a few years of graduating with a computer science degree. Why? And um, you talking to women in the field, um, that's not surprising. That you that I repeatedly hear these stories of um, in a very difficult work environment. And I think that what we have is um, bigger than the problem of um, a smaller talent pool of women than we have of men is that we have a scarcity of work environments, of places where any like sane person would actually want to work. Hmm. And that is, I think, what needs to be changed most. We need the men to realize American men particularly, that in order to get the talent and keep the talent, we need to transform our workplaces and how we treat each other with respect and how we acknowledge work and how we amplify diverse voices. Nicole McCabe, chime in. This is your bailiwick. This is your wheelhouse, global inclusion and diversity. What do you think about what Sarah just put on the table for us? Yeah, no, I, I, uh, this is, I deal with this every day, I feel like, trying mm-hmm. to figure out ways that you can uh, retain the women, especially in the tech sector. Um, and I think it's all the reasons, you know, that Sarah pointed out. Um, I would also add to it and say that there's greater flexibility for women now. Um, you know, I think historically they felt like they had to either stay in the workforce um, and put up with the culture, whether it was a demanding, you know, workload, whether... Um, it was just the culture of being extremely male-dominated. Uh, but now I think that they also have additional options where it provides the flexibility to leave in their, in their life, right? So people like you see sites like Elance, for example, um, popping up and other sites that are enabling women to, to leave um, but even do work when they want to do it, right, if they're trying to manage family um, and have a career, too, continue it to stay up to date uh, by using those sorts of contractor or freelance types of relationships. So I would add that that's also um, something that is a little bit of a uh, detractor for women to stay in the workforce when they, you know, when the men aren't getting it and the men aren't jumping on board. But I do agree that the men play a huge pivotal role in helping us sort of change that culture. Thank you, Nicole. Rathna, thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think I agree with both Sarah and uh, Nicole. Um, Bonnie, like oftentimes, I guess, uh, you know, women are the ones who are expected to balance many facets of life, right? Be it family, be it career. And to be honest, I've been with IT for over 15 years now. It is a ruthless field in a sense. Uh, the time commitment that is expected of you is very different than probably few other industries, right? Uh, it's not a pure nine-to-five kind of job that we, you know, probably um, uh, would expect. Um, and, you know, when it comes to career women, uh, you know, we will have to, sometimes we are in this uh, avenue where we have to choose between whether it's my career or whether it's my family. You know, personally, I always come across the situation where I feel guilty that I'm probably not doing enough for my family, right, when, when I want to be good at what I do at my job. So, um, you know, I guess 
uh, from that aspect, what Sarah is saying, I I have a lot of female team members who who did you know have to make that decision and probably leave the industry. But I do agree with uh, Nicole as well. I think a lot of organizations are changing. I mean, corporations are getting giving better benefits for women in you know be it maternity or uh, you know be it helping with childcare. So there are you know changes happening even within my own company. There are better options provided, and I hope uh, that will help us women to focus or balance both the career and family. Thank you. I, I want to go back before I go to Nicole's notes here. I, I want to pull up two more notes from Sarah Allen that are really bothering me. You say there's a scarcity of good places to work for women in tech, and it's even worse if you're not white or Asian. I don't think we, we mentioned that specifically. Sarah, really? Yes. Um, I I think that um, we have this opportunity to show a different thing that is happening simultaneously in the industry alongside all of these toxic work environments. Mm -hmm. So there are definite challenges with this type of work. It's a very intense work. I appreciate what Rothna was saying about um, the time commitment. I used to joke that in Silicon Valley, flex time just means more time. Um, but, it, yes. but you can make that flexibility completely work for you. I was working at a startup company when my kid was in kindergarten, and I was able to volunteer one day a week um, do in the first hour of his school. And because of that, I got a chance to engage with him at school just at a time that your kids are, like, not telling you what's going on in school. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I would go in, I would volunteer for an hour, and I would still get to work before most people on the engineering team. So yep. I was putting in a lot of work to spend time with my kid and um, do the work that I love. But I was able to do that and create that balance because of the kind of work that I do. And I think that we have, I think it's a minority of workplaces, but those workplaces do exist today. We have amazing people in the industry who are not only doing amazing technical work, but they're also amazing, great people who respect their colleagues regardless of race or gender. That Mm -hmm. it is unfortunately unusual to find people, women or men, in the industry who will look at a Latina or a Latino or a black engineer and assume that they are a qualified engineer. In fact, if you go to, you know, a meetup in San Francisco that's mostly white guys and you're not one of them, there is a bias that you're probably not an engineer, or you're probably just learning, or so forth. And those biases are very hard to unseat. The thing that actually is transformative is that if you can create these environments where you have 50-50 women, men, you have all the races so that there is no visible majority group, suddenly... Mm -hmm those biases start to go away, and they go away in 
a breathtakingly fast time. Like we went, um, when we first started doing Railsbridge workshops and we would have 50 women in a room learning to code and some of them would be super expert teachers and some of them would be, you know, CEOs of their company or CMOs and some of them would be like unemployed and trying to find a job or they learned COBOL 30 years ago and now they're trying to get back into the workforce. And there would be men there, too, and some of the men were expert teachers, and some of them were unemployed but good technically, and some of them were just learning, too. I found that men who would go to volunteer at those workshops would meet more technical women in one weekend than they'd met in their whole lives. Mm. And what that happened is it started to change their assumptions when they met women out in the world. Yes. A friend of mine, Marcy Campbell, who was uh, VP of Sales for Engine Yard, told me about hosting an event where it was one of these, you know, come drop in and drink beers and meet the people of Engine Yard. And it was during a Ruby conference about six months after we had started um, these workshops. And she said these six people rolled out of the elevator, and she and another saleswoman were standing there having a beer, waiting for the people to arrive. And one of the guys came up to her and said, are you Ruby engineers? And she said, never once in her over 20 years of working in the tech industry had she ever been mistaken for an engineer. Mm. And, like, we need that. We need this assumption that if you walk in and you see a woman, yeah, yeah, she's probably an engineer, she's probably technical because we're at a tech conference, you know, we're at a company Mm -hmm. that does tech. So... The assumption needs to be that the person you see is technically competent, belongs there, and is a contributing member of the team. Good and point, it Sarah. And see that. And I thank you. And I want to turn to a note from Nicole McCabe in your your discussion statements you sent me before the show. I think it's a perfect segue, Nicole. You say the role of media as a catalyst to help change the culture within the tech sector. Much of the media today spends energy on focusing on the negative elements of tech, but there are a tremendous amount of very talented technical women, Sarah's talking about them, and a lot of companies doing some great things. So what is the role of media? Do they need to be taken out behind the barn and shot or slapped and told, hey, take your blinders off, kids, boys and girls, let's start reporting it the way it really is? Or what do we need to do to get the media on board to help change the culture? Yeah, well, I think there's a combination. I mean, I think that the media has has focused uh, very heavily on on the negative um, elements, like I said, within the cultures have, especially in the Silicon Valley. Um, there's been a number of uh, well circulated articles that have come out on the culture, um, on the demands um, of the women in the workplace there, et cetera. But you know, we can't always forget. That's why I go back to the first one where we talked about the history, right, and the role of women that they played in computing. Um, and I really think you just need to continue that real time and really talk about the women that are out there and move away from just talking about them as women and talking about their accomplishments and talking about their expertise and their skills um, and not always about, you know, the challenge. I think, you know, going to Sarah's point around the unconscious bias and hearing the story, I love that story where you're moving to a place where they see a woman and they ask her if he's, she's an engineer, right? You would never have that years ago. Um, but having visually the association that, yes, she's a woman, 
but really be talking about, you know, her expertise, her knowledge, her accomplishments, um, I think, you know, would go a long way. I think sometimes it gets negated when we talk about the fact um, that she is a woman. It takes away from accomplishments, um, as well as when you just continue to harbor on the negativity of the culture. And I would love to see more companies highlighted that are doing some positive things and that are projecting um, a culture of inclusiveness. Thank you, Nicole. Rathna or Sarah, comments on what Nicole just shared? Ladies, either one? Um, yeah, yeah, I I think it's uh, very well said, um, Bonnie. Um, media does play a very important role. Um, you know, there are so many of uh, of folks who are still not in the you know in the industry yet, who kind of are you know glued to the media to see what you know what this industry is about, right? And uh, if there are ways to highlight what um, you know the accomplishments be it from the history or be it, you know, currently there are a lot of women leaders, be it Indira Nui or, uh, you know, somebody else. I think if we can highlight that, it, it does influence a lot more girls out there uh, to take up this industry. Thank you. Sarah, I want you to talk a little bit about starting a diverse workforce by starting with a diverse founding team if you're in the startup mode or startup realm. Talk to me a little bit about what you did with Blazing Cloud. I think this is a very interesting uh, note to our conversation. Yeah, I started um, a consulting company um, about seven years ago, and um, I was a little ahead of the game because I was a solo founder, um, but I recruited, I, you know, I tried to recruit a diverse talent. I was looking mostly for diversity in programming language experience um, because we were doing new technology, which I mean, at the time was mobile and iOS development. And um, that um, my early team had another woman, a young man, an Asian man, um, and that, that diversity and the fact that I also hired somebody who was not a Ruby on Rails engineer, happened to be a guy, who um, had not done iOS development. And I was like, well, whatever we're doing now, we're going to do something different a year from now. There'll be a new tech, a new phone. So, you know, and I had great confidence in him. I'd worked with him before. In three weeks, he was an iOS engineer. And uh, a few weeks later, he was a Rails engineer. Um, that you need to go out of your way to realize that when you're bringing people into your team, you're not just bringing the immediate skills they have right now. And you're not just bringing somebody who's going to do the job function that you're recruiting for. You want your founding team, they're bringing their whole networks, they're bringing their perspectives. They're bringing their friends and family. They're bringing everything to your startup. And you want to have as broad a network as humanly possible for your company to be the most successful. So it is absolutely a success criteria to have a diverse founding team in all respects. But also, if you look forward to as your team grows to 20 people, to 50 people, to 100 people, to 1,000 people, that becomes even more important. If you have, you know, when you're three people, it's easier to find mm -hmm. one person who's not like you. 
Yes. If you get to 10 people and you're all white men or all Asian men or all anything, Mm -hmm. it's going to be harder to pull in diversity. I mean, granted, if you were an all-woman team or an all-black team or a Latino team, you could probably find white men to create some diversity just because there's an abundance of them out there. Um, And I think there are a lot of white men who are looking for diverse environments and having trouble finding them. So you, you just have so much of an opportunity when you're starting to create that. So if you've got a founding team, if you've got a team that's less than eight, it is urgent for you to find somebody who um, brings diversity to your team in however you define that. There's a great initiative called the One for One, where on Twitter you pick somebody who has a, a different kind of diversity aspect than, like, than you. You're, if you're a man, you could name a woman. If you're a white person, you could name a black person. If you're able-bodied, you could name somebody who... Um, has a, a disability and who, but the point is to name somebody who you think is on par or better than you if you were asked to be on a panel, if you were being recruited. And to think about when somebody invites you to participate in an opportunity that you're too busy for, or even if you're not too busy for it, have two or three people on your list who you can put forward and say, I think this person would be an amazing speaker. And to Nicole's point, don't say, I think you need a woman on your panel, so pick Nicole. Like, that is doing a disservice to that individual. You know, we need the media to be picking, like, to be just talking about women and black engineers and all the, you know, whatever your physical attributes are or outward appearance is, to just not mention it so mm-hmm. that we can focus on our work. Because I love this conversation, and it's so important, but I'm having this conversation instead of writing code right now. And there's <laughs> well, a bunch of guys <laughs> who are not doing that. I'm glad you're taking the time to be with us, Sarah. All good points. Ladies, we are coming down to the final home stretch here, seven minutes left till the end of the show, and I know you have a lot to predict. So rather than keeping this part of the roundtable going, I'm going to go back to Rath Niketalea at TCS. And Rath, I'd like to give you a full two minutes to predict, project, whatever you want to do, prognosticate, forecast. If we met again at some point in the future, what would you be saying? What would be different about this topic of women in technology, decoding diversity in Silicon Valley and beyond? Uh, 2020 is my favorite year, but you can pick any time. Rath, so why don't you take, a let's say, 90 seconds. Let's be conservative. 90 seconds for predictions. Rath, go ahead. Um, Bonnie, I, I am very optimistic, and I think the very fact that we are doing such discussions, there are so many bloggers, both men, women, who are actually talking about this issue today, and there are corporations who are trying to, you know, look at this um, uh, challenge that women face and, uh, you know, are working towards introducing more women in the leadership roles. I'm very optimistic that Hopefully, we won't be talking the same topic in 2020. Um, I hope uh, that we'll be talking something else other than just, uh, you know, bringing more women to the industry. Uh, that's, that's something that I hope uh, really. 
Thank you very much. And let's turn to Sarah Allen. Sarah, I can give you a full two minutes because Rathen went a little bit short on her time. She gave a little bit back into the pool. So what do you see, Sarah? And Sarah, quickly, I'm looking at a statistic here. 74% of women in tech report loving their work, but 56% of technical women leave at the midpoint when the loss of their talent is most costly to companies. Will this change in the future? Sarah, what are your predictions? I, I think we can really move the needle by 2020. I think that we still may have dismal statistics in terms of a minority of women in tech or getting CS degrees, but what we can change is the cultural norms. I think we can absolutely change this flood of women leaving the workforce by finding those workplaces where women are able to do amazing work, where you have young black people and Latinos who are thriving because the workplace offers respect and we see creative solutions coming out of there so that there's media articles that talk about their work and just happen to have the photos of the creators in the media. And then when that happens, young people will see people who look like them in the news being the makers, and it doesn't have to be the majority of the field for it to dramatically change. So I think by 2020, we can get to be where the cultural norm is such that this is a creative, amazing place to work where you can change the future, and that that comes with a responsibility to affect society in a positive way, and we see younger and older people joining together to make this happen. Women who've been in the industry, you know, since the previous century, that, Mm -hmm. you know, I won't be considered like an old person in the industry, but rather (laughs) an experienced one, Uh and I can enjoy an influx of new talent, and we can focus on the work that we're doing, and that I think we can do, have a relatively small percentage of the industry be like that, just like Facebook is a tiny minority of the industry, right? The things Mm -hmm. that hit the front page are anomalies. Let's talk about the really exciting anomalies that are happening, and let's have that be on the cover of TechCrunch and the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And then we'll see a sea change happen very quickly. So I think we can start to see that in 2020. Thank you, Sarah. Very optimistic. And I like the way you brought in the the media. And and my one comment to you is I think we need to dig way back into education from the very first time little girls find out what a computer is besides what they're doing at home or their their handheld uh, devices that their parents have and and that there's a world of people who make things happen behind the scenes so we can all benefit from it and get that excitement to dig down into the the very even the preschool era where little girls understand it's okay it's a good place to to push yourself. It's a good place to learn and grow as you go through school, but I digress. Nicole McCabe, I saved, whoa, I saved 45 seconds for you for predictions. Give me fast. Go ahead. Okay, so I'll do uh, two time zones. One is 2020 uh, prediction, and I agree. I mean, I think there's going to be such a shift 
in our willingness as a culture uh, within organizations to be inclusive. So I do think you're going to see that shift in where people feel like they can bring their whole selves to work and they can really contribute um, and be creative. So I certainly see that by 2020. Um, The numbers themselves, I'm not too confident that they will shift dramatically by 2020, but I think certainly by 2030 um, we're going to see a dramatic shift. We're having some great conversations now. I know being the mom of two little girls, Mm -hmm. um, I work on it with them almost every day, talking to them about computers, talking to them about, you know, being proud to be smart. Um, yes. And my four-year, five-year-old now, but when she was three, she could work an iPhone like nobody's business um, and was <laughs> teaching me, right? So just continuing to reinforce that this is a really cool thing um, and a creative field to go into. I think we're really going to see the impacts of that in 2030. Thank you very much. Ladies, what a privilege and a pleasure it's been to speak with the three of you. Rathna Catalea at TCS. Thank you, Rathna. Sarah Allen at Bridge Foundry, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you, Sarah, so much. And you can go back and code now, but I'm just delighted you took an hour out to join us. And Nicole McCabe at SAP, always a pleasure. Uh, let's see. I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers, our flagship show, talking again to the team at Baylor University, some MBA students and a professor and um, some smart people at SAP talking. I don't know what we're talking about. Just another interesting topic. And then Thursday, we'll be back with another live edition of the Future of Business with Game Changers, which is starting its third season. Woohoo! Here's my, oh, shout out to Jenny Dearborn, of course, executive producer of this series, and to Liz Krell and to Brad and the Business Channel team here at VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for joining us. It's been a wonderful conversation. I hope we inspired you to think. That's all we want you to do is think. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Women, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.